Last week we talked about the gifts of the Spirit, which can sometimes be a very explosive topic. And we reviewed it and came up with a few thoughts. And for those of you who weren't here, what we talked about was that the gifts of the Spirit are in fact for today. And unfortunately, it can sometimes be a, a divisive issue in the church where people look and they say, well, some gifts are for today and some aren't and some elevated. And so a couple of the extremes that we looked at were, first off, that, well, these ones apply and these ones don't. And exactly how people arrive at that is different depending on where they came from denominationally or what kinds of church they've historically looked at. But the other problem that people look at is that some they believe are more important than others. And so they look at this gift of list, a list of gifts, and they say, well, I'm going to take those ones and not those ones. I'm going to make my separate lists. But in the end, when we looked at everything, we said that to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so it lowers the temperature. It doesn't make them such explosive topics. It gives us the, the peace and the joy that Christ always intended for us when we're sharing our faith. It's not meant to be a one-upmanship. It's not meant to be an ooh and ah and, you know, spectacular, miraculous gifts. But it's also not meant to be pushing down what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The Bible talks about, you know, do not quench the Spirit. And that's one way that we can quench the Spirit is when we say, we don't want these gifts. They're not in operation today. And so Paul continues on on this discussion of the spiritual gifts, and he takes this analogy that Tom was reading for us about the spiritual gifts and compares it to the analogy of a body. So he talks about one body, and there's many members. And so the body is the body of Christ, the body of believers. And so sometimes people interpret that and say, well, is that a certain number of denominations? Is that uh, people around the world? And the easiest answer is the body of believers is anybody who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for their sins, that they themselves are completely incapable of making up that massive gap between God and us. We have no capability of doing that, and it's by faith of accepting Christ's sacrifice on the cross that that's what binds us together as believers. And that line is through all different churches all around the world. Not everybody in every church all around the world is saved. So the body is those of us who believe as the Apostle Paul taught us, as Jesus taught us to have faith in him. So if we look at the story of the body, it's a fairly familiar story, right? If you've grown up in a church environment or if, you've, if you're new to the church environment, you've probably heard this analogy of the difference between uh, being a, a one body with many different members, and we each have different gifts that God has given us, therefore we should all connect and be together in that. So it sounds like it should be all fine and good, but there isn't. There are divisions. And so the Apostle Paul is trying to bring wisdom, bring understanding, to the church at Corinth about why these divisions were happening, especially on something like the gifts of the Spirit. So he looked at the question about what, what causes divisions? Why, why are there so, many, so much infighting when it comes to spiritual gifts? And even today, those, those questions still arise, and unfortunately, people become polarized on that. Uh, how can we as a body be one in Christ? How does that happen? How does that work? And how does unity help develop each person's gifting? You know, the gifts that God has given you, the gifts that God has given me, 
are developed in the context of a body of believers, of people who love Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul looks at these particular questions. So he starts off and says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Well, there's lots going on in that, those couple of verses, but just one thing I like to highlight, look how many times the word one shows up. So it's one, one body, one spirit, one body, and one spirit again. So it's this idea of the, the, the gifts of the spirit were not meant to divide the church. They're meant to bring us together to help us to recognize that we are one in Christ. And notice what he puts at the end, and all were made to drink of one spirit. That defines what unity is. Unity is not because we agree on absolutely everything theologically. Unity is not because we're all part of one particular church and one part of the globe. Unity is because of what the Holy Spirit has done in us when we repented of our sins and put our faith in Jesus. So we are one. That's the beauty of it. So because of the Holy Spirit, we are one. The problem comes, well, why aren't they not all acting as one? What happened? What, what got so off the rails? If, if we're all one family, what happened there? So unity should not really be a problem, except in Corinth, there's a huge problem. And as you study church history and you read what happened in Corinth, you know, it's, a, it's not by accident that letters to Corinth are the longest ones, right? First Corinthians, they're huge, right? Galatians, little one, Ephesians, the Corinth, they even got a sequel because of how bad it was. So they have these huge challenges that were going on there in Corinth. So there's a huge problem. There are two groups, factions, divisions, the Apostle Paul warns about there not being factions in churches. But here at Corinth, there are two big groups, and they side on different ways when it comes to spiritual gifts. So even as last week we talked about, how did the Apostle Paul address that? We want to look at that again today. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less a part of the body either. Notice that there are two phrases that are being repeated here. The first one is, I do not belong. You know, the sense of belonging anywhere, especially in a body of believers, is absolutely critical. You all know, we all know when we feel loved. We all know when we feel cherished. We all know when we have that sense of belonging. And we're supposed to have that the most acutely in a body of believers, but that's not what happens. You have people who are coming into a church environment and their their feeling from that is, I don't belong here. I don't have a sense of belonging. And what's happened is that the church of Corinth elevated certain gifts and they looked down on other gifts. And so if they had, if you were the group that had the quote-unquote lesser gifts, well, that's really too bad that it's you. Yeah, you can come in on Sunday and you can sit in the pew and that's all fine. But it's us with these bigger gifts. We're where it's at and the rest of you can just stay there. And that's, that was what was happening. So they walk into this environment and they feel like they don't belong. They don't belong. So what is, what is the purpose behind belonging? What gives us our identity of a sense of belonging. God creates us with this desire to want to belong. How does God do that for us? So the first phrase is, I do not belong. The second phrase is, 
that would not make it any less a part of the body. So the Apostle Paul does not play into the game that's happening in Corinth that says, here's the power gifts and here's the lesser gifts. It doesn't exist that way, but that's what they thought. He doesn't enter into that discussion. Instead, what he does is very interesting. He says, if you look at it logically, what you think of you not belonging is actually not correct. You don't belong on the basis of what gift you have or have not been given. So this first group feels like they don't belong because they perceive their giftings as inferior. There's truth and there's reality. And those are sometimes two very different things. A reality might be something that's real. That's where we get reality from. It feels real if I don't feel like I belong. That's a real feeling. But the question is, is that feeling or that thought, is that actually based on truth? So the challenge that this first group was making is they based in their feeling of whether they belong or not on how they feel relative to what someone else is telling them as opposed to coming back to the cross and saying, where do I get my identity from really? So feelings and perceptions, while they are God-given, our ability to feel, our ability to analyze and to perceive things, that is a God-given gift that he's given to us. But they can mislead us. If we're living in a fallen world and we're not perfect, they can mislead us in terms of, well, am I really reading and understanding that correctly? Last week, we looked at the topic of idolatry. And it was very interesting because the Apostle Paul starts talking about gifts and shifts to idolatry. We looked at why that was, and a very brief summary was that people have idols, first off, because they're looking for supernatural help in places other than God. That is a traditional form of idolatry, the way we understand it in the Old Testament with either a golden calf or something that different nations had. In churches, for example, we typically would not fall into that. Most people who call themselves Christians don't have idols and don't talk about it that way. But idolatry, especially in the West, is very pervasive. It's insidious. It creeps in, and it slowly makes a home, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, sometimes without even realizing what's happening. So what is that? It's looking for a sense of identity in something other than God. I have to have a good job. I have to have a good career. I have to be married. I have to have kids. I have all these different things, and there's nothing wrong with that. Those are all great things that God can do, but it's that sense of, I feel secure, I feel like I belong because of this. And that's idolatry. How do you know you have an idol? If it got taken from you, would you be devastated? Now, that's different when it comes to family. Let's not misunderstand that part of it. But if your career, if your bank account, if your house, if your family status, or lack thereof, you can have an idol and not be meeting up to that idol and feel devastated because you've created this idol of, I must have a good career, I must do well. Oh, that's great. But it's disastrous when our identity is based off of that. So we can make an idol out of these gifts that God gives us. So an idol is something you have to have. But here's the funny thing about idols. Even if you achieve it, you have a false sense of hope. So when we build these idols up and say, I will feel secure in my life when I have this The problem is that eventually that idol is going to fail you. Either it's not going to succeed or you're going to spend 10, 20, 30 years in that and all of a sudden look around and say, you know what, I've been building this on sand. 
All these things that I had hoped were going to give me satisfaction haven't. So in their case, the first group, their sense of belonging is linked to their gift and not to the cross. So let me ask this question this morning. What gives us our identity? I know it's Sunday morning, so the answer is going to be Jesus. But what really gives you your sense of identity? And that is usually helped by spending time, maybe this afternoon, this evening when it's quiet. Just ask yourself, what really gives me my sense of assurance, my sense of love, my sense of peace? What, what if I lost it would devastate me? And that's the question, that's the problem they were having at, uh, at Corinth. So here Paul uses what I think is a really cool technique where he takes an argument to its logical conclusion. Here are people who say, well, you know what? I'm not this, therefore I don't belong. And Paul says, okay, let's start with that. Let's presume that you are right, and let's follow that through and see what happens. So he says, well, we'll start with your position and see where that takes us. And he says, well, if the whole body were an eye, in other words, if you didn't like being an ear and you wanted to be an eye, so for example, you, you didn't like the gift of administration. You thought, you know, this is boring. I don't like this. This isn't the ooh-ah thing like, you know, healing or miracles. You'd say, the Apostle Paul says, well, okay, let's say that there was no administration whatsoever. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? In a modern-day analogy, it would go something like this. If the entire team was just goaltenders, who'd put the puck in the net for us? And if the entire team were centermen, who'd be playing defense? Who'd be in net? So that the analogy is, if you follow it through to a logical conclusion, it wouldn't make any sense. So Paul says, I'm not an I, so I don't belong. He takes that position and he shows that taken to its logical conclusion, the argument makes no sense. And then he presents the solution. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one as he chose. And that's the highlight of it. Are we willing to accept God's design for us? Are we willing to accept that God looked at our lives and said, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you this, and he designed how each person gets a gift. It sounds maybe familiar, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he designed things from the beginning, and he put things in different places and knew the way he wanted to go. No different than with us. No different than with us. He looked at our giftings, and instead, the church of Corinth screws that up and says, well, we're going to make a hierarchy out of these gifts and people are going to be left out. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I want to encourage us to have faith that God knew what he was doing when he designed you. I I work in engineering. Dan was also an engineer. It was so cool meeting him this morning. And it's very cool because engineers design things in a way for a particular purpose. And your car is great, And a train is great, but they don't work good if you switch them around. Your train and a track doesn't work, and that locomotive on a street doesn't work. And so there's this fighting of, I wish I had that, I wish I had that. Let's have faith that God knows what he's doing. And the challenges that we face are usually because we want to be like somebody else as opposed to what God has called us to be. It's a question of focus. Where are we focusing? What are we focusing on? Are we focusing on how someone else has something we don't have? Or are we focusing on trusting in God's design for us? Again, the gifts of the Spirit bring peace, relaxation, and joy. Not competition, not division, not infighting. 
This is a picture of a performance of Handel's Messiah. It is my favorite musical piece. I listen to it all year round, not just at Christmas. And I got tickets to see it last this past December when it was coming out. And it's a very cool thing at Centennial Concert Hall because you can sit in the second row at the far, far side for the cheapest seats because they actually do a bit of a horseshoe thing. So if you want a little secret for getting great seats for super cheap, the far corners are where it's at. So I sat in the second row for the Centennial Concert Hall at seeing Handel's Messiah. And I got, this isn't taken from there, but it's something like that. Not quite as big a choir, but not too far off. And right in front of me was the organist. And I loved watching her because she plays, she just stops and she sits there quietly. And there's all the soprano and the alto and they're just belting it out and their voices are amazing. Then you hear this, the rest of the symphony that's playing and then she starts playing again. Then she stops. And then at the end, they you know, give the big applause, right? So, of course, the singers go first. And then next comes the uh, first violin, right? And then they kind of work through. And then it was her turn. She was the coolest. You know, she just quietly stands up, puts her hand on the organ. And the second they start, you can see she just, I want to be in the spotlight. So she just goes right back to where she is. That's similar to how it is in our lives, that God calls us at certain times and at certain places to do certain things for his kingdom and for his glory. Two days later, I was at uh, another uh, event. It was a, a wonderful choir event. And sitting next to it, I just got in the conversation with a guy beside me, and he was actually one of the singers in that choir. And so we talked about how cool it was to be in there, and he asked him, did you recognize me up there? I says, well, I, I didn't know you then, so I wasn't looking for you. But the two different roles, I'd argue that if one person got sick and couldn't be there, and if I had to pick between the organist and one of the 100 people in the choir, if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick the guy in the choir not to be there. And unfortunately, sometimes in the Christian walk, we feel that way. We feel like we're not the guy playing the organ. Fantastic organ playing, by the way. We feel like we're one of the 100 people in the choir, and nobody notices if I'm there or not. Charles Moley was asked to come and pray for some kids at the hospital. He didn't want to do it, didn't think it was his job to do it, or didn't really feel called to do it. But he got, and his, finally his wife kicked him out and says, go and do it. So he goes, and he comes to this hospital in Nairobi, Kenya, Eldoret, I'm sorry, Eldoret, Kenya, northwest. And he walks in, and there's 150-odd kids. And they have malaria, they have typhoid, one of them's already passed away, and the, the nurse says, well, can you, can you pray for these kids to, to be healed? And he goes in and he prays for one person, nothing happens. Prays for the next one, next one. There's four kids in a room, nothing happens. Goes to the next room, nothing happens. I mean, you can imagine this is getting demoralizing, right? One person not praying, you've got nowhere to hide, right? Because they all know you're coming, word spreads, and he's going through the hospital. Finally, he finishes praying for all, and the nurse says, well, how'd it go? And... He says, well, they're, they're still here. She goes, well, what? And she starts asking a bunch of questions because she'd really explained. He felt terrible. He left, went back to his house, thought this was awful. Next day, he gets a call, or later on that day, one of the two. It was, it was shortly thereafter. He says, please come back to the hospital. He doesn't want to go. He says, no, we, we really want you to come. So he drives to the same hospital, and he, he pulls up there. This happened maybe 25 years ago or so. And he stops, gets out of his car, and walks into the hospital. Only the person that he had met is not there. And we've all been to hospitals. These are bustling places of activity. Well, the place looks dead zone. It's quiet in there. And he walks to the front desk, sees no one there, and he 
goes into the first room and he opens the door and there's, there's nobody there. The kids aren't even there. Goes to the next room, the kids aren't even there. Goes to the next room, the kids aren't even there. And the nurse sees him, comes running up to him. Says, all these kids have been healed. They all got up and they walked out. What if Charles Moley would have said, you know what? I don't think it's going to make any difference. I'm just one of many people. Why would I even bother doing this job? Why would I do this? All those kids would have still stayed in that hospital. There's a great story of an evangelist, just a brief story. He was a soapbox preacher back in the day when they happened, and he preached for years on this street corner. Nobody got saved. He was totally demoralized. He says, you know, what am I doing this for? What am I doing this for? This massive evangelist happened to be coming through town, and he felt... He felt the way sometimes people feel and say, you know, God, I don't want to feel jealous. I don't want to feel unimportant. But here is this massive evangelist coming through. And that guy, that guy knows how to do it. I'm just this guy here for years. Well, wouldn't you know it? Who shows up at his corner but this big evangelist? And what does the guy say? Years ago, I was here. My life was nothing. I heard you preaching, and I gave my life to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we're the choir member, sometimes we're the organist, sometimes we're the soloist. God decides that. God chooses where that is. And we need to encourage ourselves with the question, are we like the organist who just wants to hop? I love that. I love that. She's just so humble and quiet, just wanted to stay out of the way. And we look at the choir member, yeah, you're right. Maybe or maybe not, other people may have not noticed. But God would have noticed. God would have noticed. And the gifts of the Spirit about being obedient to God and our ability to be able to discern, is this working or not working? We don't have that gift. That's for God to decide for us. So Paul now moves to the second group. The first group felt inferior. The second group, well, they have a different problem. They're the ones who are looking down at the others, right? They've made this fictitious construct out of the gifts. And he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. What is he saying? The second group feels superior compared to the other group. They see the other group as dead weight that don't contribute to the kingdom. And so there's this sense of pride and arrogance coming in, the exact thing that the gifts are not supposed to be doing. So what is it? It's wrong thinking. It makes an idol out of gifting. It says that certain gifts are important, other gifts are not. And if you didn't get the big ones, well, that's too bad. You have to sit with the junk gifts and too bad for you. But it also looks at the Holy Spirit as if to say that he doesn't hand out good things. You know, I, I love being an uncle. I get to give gifts to my nieces and nephews, and I try to give the same gifts as often as I can. But as an uncle, I love giving the best that I can for them. And we're just regular people. Like the Bible says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? You need to have faith that the Holy Spirit's given you a great gifting. You ask, how do we look at people around us? Do we look at them with the superiority, with inferiority? Do we look at people and say, well, I don't belong? Like the first group who felt in fear, the second group that felt you know, superior, they looked down at other people for different kinds of reasons. The solution is what? We talked earlier about belonging. Our sense of belonging does not come in how effective we think we have or have not been for the kingdom. That's a bad trap. You know, John 3.16, we all know, but John 3.17, 
right? For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit brings encouragement. Pride brings discouragement. So Paul examines the viewpoint of the second group, and he takes it to its logical conclusion as well to try and point out how wrong it is. He says, look, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, right? So again, he's, he's saying that perception is not the same as truth. Reality is you think that they're weaker, but the truth is that they aren't. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, which our unpresentable parts do not require. So do we look down on ourselves? Are we quick to judge ourselves? Are we quick to look at ourselves and be harsh with ourselves? Or do we celebrate how God has created each one of us individually? You have your giftings. I have mine. Other Christians and other churches have their giftings. And are we using those giftings? or are we spending our time wishing we had other giftings? One measure of a follower of Jesus is how well they treat fellow believers. Just have a look inside your own heart. Take time with the Lord. Just see, how do I treat the people around me? How do I treat fellow believers? How do I treat those who may not know Christ yet? What's my heart's attitude towards them? This is arguably one of my favorite players. This is Mark Shifley. He was playing last night in the All-Star game. He is an assistant captain with the Winnipeg Jets, and he has uh, been with the Jets since, almost since their inception. He played in the minors for a little bit. But he's a very, very exciting player and has a truly tremendous gift. I would suggest that or submit that of all the different players that play for the Jets, he's one of the most key. You could argue Connor Hellebuck as well, Patrick Laine. You could argue a bunch of different guys. But, but these, I would say, Shifley would be absolutely one of the keys. This is him winning uh, after one of the games. You can see him as part of the group and everything else. But a really cool thing about guys like Mark Shifley, and I've heard that he's a Christian. I've never talked to him in person, so I can't verify that. I've heard that he is. Here's a cool picture. These are all the pictures we love about him. But this is one that I really like about him. You know, here's this superhero guy. Does he look down at other people? No. Does he look down and think, hey, I'm, I'm the big guy, everybody look at me? No. He's there with some young kids from Sport Manitoba who are trying to play hockey. Humble guy who uses his gift, but at the same time doesn't create a faction. That's similar to how us in the church should be looking at fellow believers. There is no higher and lower. We're all together, all brothers and sisters in Christ. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There's a lot being said in those verses. What's, what's the Apostle Paul getting at? Well, here's, here's three ideas. First off, we need to have faith where it says that God has so composed the body. We need to have faith in God as our ultimate engineer who's designed us with certain giftings. He knew what he was doing. Do we have faith in that? Do we trust that? Do we celebrate that? But that the members may have the same care for one another. One of the ways in which you can see if the Holy Spirit is really working in a person's life is how genuine their care is for people who both agree and disagree with them. People of all parts of the body together. How well do we love one another? 
And the yellow part is, this is a tough one. If one member suffers, all suffer together. That's okay. You could probably feel that way if you feel like you're part of the inferior crowd. If you've bought into that idolatry lie that, you know, that's a greater gift and mine isn't, you'll find it easy to suffer with people, but you'll find it very hard to rejoice with other people because secretly you say, I wish I had that. The other people who may be on the superior side, if they've bought into the other side of the pendulum idolatry that says, well, I'm something because of that, 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 and that, and that, you'll find it very easy to celebrate other people because when they're successes, they remind you of your successes, and isn't that what life is all based on? And that's the idolatry problem. It goes, <laughs> idolatry doesn't actually care if you succeed or fail at it. It just cares if you have the idol. And so people who see themselves as, well, I don't need a lot of other things. I can handle it myself. They will look down at people who are suffering. So this is a great example the Apostle Paul gives where he says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. Why? Because our identity is in Christ, not based off of gifts or achievements. And all rejoice together if one member is honored. It is only by looking to Jesus that the Holy Spirit will soften our hearts to be able to see the hurting around us and care for them. That is a uniquely Christian perspective of life. Not that other people who don't believe in Jesus don't attempt to do good things, but that genuine love for other believers, other people, even if they're believers or not, is a uniquely Christ-centered idea. Now, you are, body, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So God doesn't erase the gifting that he's given to you. He doesn't say everybody must have exactly the same. We can have unity without having uniformity, meaning we don't all have to be robots that are exact cookie cutters of each other. That's not what we're after. He gives different giftings, but it's the same spirit that works in us and works through us. And we only discover who we really are when we are in Christ. You know, you sometimes hear about people who either they want to leave the church or they, they want to go off and they want to discover themselves. I always wonder, what do they find? Like, what, what do you find out there? Because you're created by God. Wouldn't it make sense to come to your creator to discover who you are? And so both our gifting and our sense of belonging comes from Christ, not based off of what we did or did not get. Our giftings come alive when we are serving Christ in the context of the church. And so the Apostle Paul was looking at all these different giftings and encouraging people to use these gifts, not to push some aside or whatever else, but to use them to serve other people. So, close to the end. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Notice if it shows the, the red and the blue contrast there. Notice that there's the red ones, which are sometimes called the power gifts. I don't know how they get that, but anyhow, it's still the Holy Spirit, which is as powerful as a teacher as it is with miracles. But anyhow, apostles, prophets, miracles, gifts of healing, and kinds of tongues. Notice there's no linear separation. He goes red, blue, red, blue, red, right? The Holy Spirit never had in mind that we're going to cut some away. And if he did, why wouldn't he have said that? And why wouldn't he have organized them in separate categories? You know, I love playing hockey. And uh, <laughs> over Christmas, I play with my nieces and nephews. And we all get together on the rink. And you throw your sticks in the middle, right? And one guy sits there and closes his eyes and throws sticks on one side. But you have your two teams. 
And unfortunately, sometimes in the body of Christ, that's what's happened. They look at these gifts and they say, well, that's in, that's out, that's in, that's out. And yet the Holy Spirit desires for us to discover the gift and that God wants us. Are all apostles? So we need to distinguish there. We didn't talk about it earlier on because that doesn't show up in the list uh, earlier on in this chapter. But the apo- there's the office of the apostle and there's the gift of apostle, which is two different things. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? Nope. Do all possess gifts of healing? Nope. Do all speak with tongues? No. And that would be the most definitive proof for people who believe that you must have a certain gift as a sign of your salvation. It's, it's not correct. Do all interpret? No. But he closes off with this awesome, awesome verse. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. He doesn't just say, well, tolerate. Okay, those guys want to get into that. Fine, fine, fine. They'll be on that smaller part of heaven, but just tolerate them nonetheless, right? Why does he say desire the gifts? Why does he end off with that? Well, because desiring the gifts, pursuing them, is being obedient to God. It's what God called us to do. It's what he told us to do. Are we going to argue about, well, you know, love my neighbor as myself. Is that really for today? No. The gifts are for today just like they were 2,000 years ago. And the second one is because the spiritual gifts are given to help us love one another. I can't answer why certain gifts work in certain cases and don't. That's a, that's a very, very deep discussion. Charles Mully, I, others have prayed for people who haven't been healed. Those are tough circumstances. But that shouldn't stop us from pursuing God and trying to love people through the gifts that God has given to us. So earnestly desire the higher gifts. And as we go into chapter 13, it talks about love. But my encouragement to each of us is that let's not allow the gifts, allow the devil to shift gifting at high and lower. Our identity is not based off of which gift we have or even how successful our gifting might be. One guy can preach and nobody gets saved. Another guy can preach and tons of people get saved. One guy will administrate a massive organization, one a small group of volunteers. What's the real difference anyways? One person's in the choir, one person's in the organ. Guys like me are in the audience, right? So it's, it's all different, different things that God gives us. So be blessed and be encouraged as you trust the Lord, as you are encouraged in the Lord, that the giftings are for today, not to bring division, but to bring peace and to bring unity. God bless.